your copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to turn in it to Acts chapter 13, or you can follow along on the screen as we read verses uh, 6 through 12. We are continuing our walk through Acts, and uh, we just began last week with this chapter, this great missionary journey, the first of three great missionary journeys that are taken by the Apostle Paul. And at this point, uh, his his companion is Barnabas. Uh, as a co-minister, and then also John Mark is along uh, as a helper. So we'll be reading verses uh, uh, 6 through 12, and last week we saw that they left Antioch and they sailed uh, to the island of Cyprus, where they were there on the, um, on the west or the eastern part of that island. And uh, that island in the Mediterranean Uh, It's about uh, 60 miles north to south, about 130 miles east to west, so a very good-sized island. They started on one end, and they worked their way to the other end, preaching and teaching the gospel in the synagogues. And so today we're going to see what happens. Uh, they, They started at the biggest city on one end, but when they get to the western side, they actually get... Uh, to the seat of government. They get to the place, you could say it was the capital city uh, of that place, or it was the, the Roman uh, province was, the, the government was seated there. And so we're going to see what happens uh, in Cyprus in this final part today. And I want to ask you to please stand with me as we read from God's Word, Acts chapter 13, beginning in afterwards traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they, meant they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. And he had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. Then he said, You son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, and enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this passage of scripture. May its words work deeply in us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. One of the greatest blessings of my life uh, came several years ago when I was given the opportunity uh, to travel to Israel. I was there on a 10-day trip. 37 ministers of all different denominations were there uh, touring, looking, seeing the holy sites, uh, both in Jerusalem and the outskirts and other places uh, there in Israel. 
and uh, saw just amazing stuff of early sites where the, the church was. But I was also fascinated by modern-day uh, the culture of Israel and how it worked. And one of the things that really struck me uh, was their army, their armed forces. And, and you would see them all over the place. And, and there was an interesting, there were several things that were interesting. Number one, they were young. I mean, they were so, so young. Uh, I mean, I, it was just, it's rather startling when you leave the United States and seniors in high school are playing basketball, you know, or, or playing a video game or whatever, and you go over there, and here's an 18-year-old walking around with a machine gun, and you just realize, wow. I mean, this is, this is a lot of uh, on, on these kids. So in, in my eyes, I'm thinking kids, but they're not really kids anymore at this point. I also noticed that they were, they were from all sorts of different um, uh, nationality, or not nationalities, but ethnicities. Uh, you had, of course, there's been a large uh, influx of Jewish people from all over the world, whether that be from uh, the former Soviet Union or even in Africa, the Ethiopian Jews. So you see, uh, it was interesting, you have in your mind, here's what an Israelite looks like, but yet you see them, they're all different shades and colors uh, of skin. And so that, that kind of stuck out to me. And then uh, the fact that it was both men and women. Here, I think that was more startling to me. Uh, does that say something bad about me? If it does, okay, sorry. But when I, when I would see this 18-year-old young lady with the machine gun in her hand, that was, wow, it just kind of stuck out to me and, 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 and burned in my eyes. The, here were these 18, 19, 20-year-olds, different genders, from all different places and backgrounds, and here they were all serving. We are very blessed in our nation to have an amazing uh, military that is made up completely of volunteers. Over there, it's not a volunteer thing. Every person, unless there's some crazy uh, exception, and they do, I know for some of the ultra-Orthodox Jews, they're allowed not to be in, but in a general sense, every single person there realizes when they get to that age, I believe it's 18, but somewhere thereabouts, they realize I'm going to go and I'm going to serve and I'm going to protect my country for two or three years. And they know this is not a picnic. They know this is, this is not a walk in the park. They know that there are real and credible and constant threats all around them of people who are wanting to attack and to harm the nation of Israel. And so when those people get a little bit older and they think about going to war, that's very serious to them because, first of all, they served as soldiers. Second of all, they know that their children and their grandchildren will be involved. Everybody is personally uh, invested in understanding that we need to have a strong military that, does the, that, that thinks carefully and, and, and makes the right decisions. They all understand they're in battle. Whether or not Israel has, is actually in a, quote, war, they know that it's always there. It's always a possibility. If you and I as believers could somehow take that mindset and that attitude 
and hold on to it and embrace it, you and I would be so much better off in this life. Because the reality is the Bible says that this world is not our home. Uh, This is not our final destination. This is not our promised land. This is not our place of peace. But we are strangers. We are pilgrims in this world. In other places, the Bible uh, puts it out there more frankly, that you and I are soldiers in the army of God. And see, we need to recognize that because there is a war going on. There is a spiritual battle, whether we recognize it or not. It's like someone saying, here's a battlefield. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not really a fighter. I, I think I'll just walk through this battlefield. I'm not going to bother with any weapons. I'm not going to bother with any defensive gear. I'm not going to bother with any strategy because I'm a peaceful person. And the reality is, it doesn't matter how peaceful you are, if you walk through that battlefield unprepared, unprotected, you're going to be damaged. And a lot of Christians today are beat up in ways they don't have to be beat up. You know, sometimes we're not going to avoid things no matter what we do. But other times in life, we're more beat up than we should be. We're more caught off guard because we haven't understood the fact that we're in a battle that it is raging around us whether we want it to or not. In this passage, we see an example of spiritual warfare going on in the early church in the life of Paul and Barnabas as they make their way to this final most western city in the island of Cyprus. The Bible tells us that they get there. And they, they go uh, to the main uh, Roman official. His name was Sergius Paulus. And this is interesting, we don't often, uh, we don't, a a whole lot of times, put it this way, we don't always get the names of of governmental officials, of Roman officials in the Bible. A lot of times we just hear, you know, the governor or whatever. But here he's named. In fact, archaeologists have dug up mentions of his name that they believe uh, line up with this man we know from the Bible. But the Bible says that he's a man of of uh, intelligence, or a better translation, he's a man of understanding. And Saul and Barnabas, Saul who's now becoming known as Paul, his, his Roman name, he's going, being referred to as Paul more likely from this point on, uh, they say, we're going to witness, we're going to tell him about the gospel, we're going to tell him about Jesus. But they are opposed by this man who coincidentally is named Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus or son of Joshua. So here's someone whose name is son of Jesus, and yet he opposes Jesus Christ, the Messiah. What do we learn from this battle that they face? There's some key pieces of intelligence that you and I need to understand about spiritual battles. Number one is that boldness is required. Boldness is required. You and I are in these battles whether we like it or not. And so we, we can think, if I shy away, maybe I won't get hurt. But the reality is the enemy is going for us. He is fighting against us. Satan has a vested interest in keeping every unbeliever that way, keeping them in the dark, keeping them away from Christ. And so we have to be bold. They were bold in sharing the gospel. But beyond that, they were bold in calling a spade a spade. They were bold in seeing evil 
and naming it for what it was. Now, this does not mean that you and I have to, every person out there who commits any sin, we got to point it out for them. What this is, is a false teacher, someone who is blatantly fighting against the ways of God, someone who is deceiving people about how they can know God. And those people have to be called out for what they are. Their lies have to be opposed and recognized for what they are. And there was a boldness here where he said, you son of the devil. You're not the son of Jesus. You're not the son of Joshua. You're the son of the devil because you pervert the ways of the Lord. Paul did not mince words about the way this man was leading people astray. You and I, again, we don't have to go around judging people or talking, pointing out their sins, but when people try to pervert the gospel, you and I have an obligation to stand up and say, no, that's wrong. This is the way. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the life. And so Paul and Barnabas, they, they learned to have that boldness. The Bible tells us that in this world, we're going to have troubles. That's just part of the experience of life. We will not avoid those troubles by being timid or fearful. Rather, we will end up being more injured because we will not receive the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. The second thing I want us to notice about this uh, verse is the blindness that takes place. When Paul, when they try to present the gospel, and here's this man, the Bible says he has attached himself to the provincial leader, to Sergius Paulus. In other words, he's a leech. You ever know those kind of people? They're kiss-ups. They attach themselves to somebody, and they'll do whatever it takes. They have no integrity at all. They're going to do whatever it takes to kiss up to the big man, to, to, to stay in good, and, and they will sell their souls to do it. And that's what this man had done. He had impressed the Roman governor, and therefore he was in an influential position. And he was afraid because he realized that when the truth was spoken, that, that he would lose his position. And so he starts opposing and saying, don't listen to them. What they're saying is not true. And that's when Paul turns to him. And he calls him what he is. And then he says, there will be a, a time period because of what you've done. For a time, you will not see the sun anymore. And the Bible says that mist began to cover this man's eyes. And he became fearful and he began groping and calling out, someone help me, please. Now this blindness here tells us a lot. Number one, it displays the power of the Holy Spirit over Satan. You and I need to realize that these confrontations are shown to us in the book of Acts so that we will get it, we will understand, we don't have to fear. When we face tough things in life, God is there with us. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus is with us. And so we don't have to tiptoe around. We don't have to worry about these confrontations because God is with us. And Luke, as he wrote this book of Acts, he wanted us to understand that when the Holy Spirit's power and Satan's power come, there's only one winner, and that's God in heaven. God is going to win. And so we need to understand God's power is with us. Secondly, we see from this blindness uh, that there is a reality of lostness. 
This blindness, by the way, was a judgment miracle. When we think of miracle, we don't usually think of judgment, do we? Uh, We think of that bread being multiplied or somebody's eyes being made where they can see or somebody who couldn't walk, they're healed. But there are, in fact, judgment miracles in the Bible. Remember Ananias and Sapphira who lied to the Holy Spirit, a judgment miracle, and they dropped dead. You remember that we were looking at Herod Antipas a couple of weeks ago? And the Bible says that he was, he was sitting there, he was boastful, and the people in the crowd said, the voice of a God and not a man. And the Bible says because he did not give glory, he did not give credit to God, he was struck down by worms. And this is another example of a judgment miracle. They're, they're not real often, but they're in there. And this judgment was a temporary blindness upon the sorcerer. And that blindness was really a sign of the greater blindness he had, and that was a spiritual blindness. The Bible tells us that the God of this world blinds unbelievers. He does all that he can so that they will not see the truth of the gospel. And that blindness, as much or more as we take compassion upon those who have physical blindness, It should inspire compassion in our hearts for those who are spiritually blind because they are grasping and they are groping for what they cannot see. And a final thing about this blindness, and I believe most terrifying, is that it is a foreshadowing of all those who reject Christ what they will experience in eternity. You and I, as we consider the concept of hell, if we do consider it at all, if we don't think we've moved beyond that, if we don't think that somehow in this modern age, hell doesn't exist anymore, but when we even consider the concept of a place called hell where we are forever separated from the pleasure, from the, uh, the power of God in our lives, if we ever consider that, we tend to think of the flames, of the heat. But Scripture also on multiple occasions describes hell as a place of darkness. A place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth because it is a place of torment. And there are many things that would add to and cause that torment to be real. But I imagine the blindness, forever groping. C.S. Lewis says that there are really two types of people in this life. Those to who whom God, they they speak to God and they say, thy will be done. And then there are those who at the end of their lives, ultimately God says, thy will be done. In other words, they have rejected God, his favor, his blessing, his counsel, and they have done that their entire lives. They've never turned to him. And God essentially says, okay, you want nothing to do with me with my refreshing, with my blessing, with my place as your Lord, well then, thy will be done. And you can forever go and be in a place where you will not have the blessings of the Lord in any measure. And so while the Bible tells us that God dwells in unapproachable light, those who are cast out from him for eternity will dwell in darkness, forever groping. Blindness is what we face in these battles. We are to come into it with boldness. And finally, I want us to think about belief. 
at the end of this incredible encounter, which was not an encounter really and truly between Paul and the sorcerer. It was an encounter between the Holy Spirit and his power over Satan's. The Bible tells us that when the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Notice how the words of life and the work of the Holy Spirit came together to draw someone to Christ. And you will notice that those two things are true. If you've got a friend, a coworker, a loved one, a family member, somebody that you want to come to Jesus Christ, uh, we can't force anyone's heart, but you need to understand that both things have to come together if they're going to accept the Lord. They have to hear the word of God, the words of life in Scripture, but there has, they also have to experience the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. Now, we believe that, as Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I draw all men unto myself. And therefore, every person, God doesn't desire for anyone to perish. He reaches out to all, but, but some reject that reaching out. But when people hear the words of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit is involved... Now here we see a, a big, bold display where a man experiences a judgment miracle of blindness. That's not the norm. By the way, th this is a book of Acts. It's a, it, it is the recorded history. It's narrative. And what I learned a long time ago uh, in seminary, one of my professors said, remember, narrative is not normative. That is, it's true, but that doesn't mean everything's necessarily going to happen. We don't see people being struck blind all the time, but that was a picture for us of God's work in power at work. So we, we see, maybe not normally, some false teacher being blinded, but you see the work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. When I look at someone, if I'm a lost person, and I don't just hear about a God that loves me, but I look at their lives and I see that something is different. And I might, not, I might not, as a lost person, be able to say that's the Holy Spirit, but that's what's going on. There's something different at play. There's something different at work in their lives. They're able to forgive, perhaps, where others could not, or, or they have a level of kindness about them, or there is something about their honesty and integrity, something that is different from what I see in the world. Then I know that God is truly at work. And when the words I hear and the works of the Holy Spirit in that man or woman or boy or girl's life, when those, things those two things match up, it is an incredible and powerful witness that draws people to the Lord. You and I are in a battle for souls. It's not about keeping track of, you know, I was the one that led this person to the Lord. Everybody who gets saved, generally speaking, they have been witnessed to. They've heard about God from a variety of sources, and it's God that saves them in the first place. So none of us can take credit for someone being saved. But you and I can be a part of the amazing work of God, realizing we're in a battle. We're not going to escape that battle, so we might as well be bold about it anyway. We might as well go, go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit 
realizing that there is blindness, spiritual blindness all around us. But if we tell the words of life and if we live by the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, then that's a powerful testimony to the world around us that can call them to share that same belief in our Lord Jesus Christ than you and I have. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, God, I come to you today, and Lord, I realize that so often, so often I can get too comfortable. I, I can forget that this is not my permanent home, but God, I am a pilgrim. Father, I, I am a stranger in the land. My ultimate home is with Jesus. God, I pray that you would help all of us while we are in this time of our lives to be wise. Father, that we would not be experiencing defeat after defeat simply because we're not even trying to engage in battle. But God, we would understand that Satan is against us, and yet as powerful as he is, he is no match for your power. You are greater than the one in the world. Let that fill us with boldness to live and to proclaim your truth. God, may a watching world around us be touched by the gospel. Father, help us, those of us who have strayed, those of us who've sat down, we've spiritually retired or taken a time out. Father, you do have resting place for us. You, you surely do. And God, you, you heal us and you comfort us during tough times. But Father, you do those things so that we may go back and fight more effectively for you. And so God, for those who are here today who need to be healed, Lord, I pray they'd call out to you for healing, for help to grow and to be what they need to be. And Father, for those of us who simply are on the sidelines, we've mistaken ourselves as spectators rather than in the thick of the battle. Wake us up, God, to who we are and where we are and what we're to be about. May we seek the power of your Holy Spirit so that you may do great things through our lives. God, we pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.